Today on episode number 145 of the Teaching in Higher Ed podcast, I talk about when things will just have to do. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Welcome to this episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. I'm Bonnie Stahoviak, and this is the space where we explore the art and science of being more effective at facilitating learning. We also share our personal productivity approaches so we can have more peace in our lives and be even more present for our students. Hello, this is Bonnie Stahoviak, the host of the Teaching in Higher Ed podcast. If this is your first time listening, a word of caution, this episode is a little bit different than my usual episodes for a couple of reasons. I usually have a guest with me, and what there are, I mean, there's a number of episodes that don't have guests, so it's not that unusual. But the really unusual thing is, is that I'm recording this episode remotely, And Andrew, our podcast editor, will do the best job he can in making the sound quality as high as he can, but I'm nowhere near in the same environment that I normally am when recording these in front of our professional podcasting equipment. In fact, Dave, my husband, who has sometimes joined me on the show before, is quite excited because we actually had to replace many of our pieces of hardware that make the magic behind both of our podcasts work. And it's like he's a kid in a candy store with all his new toys with the podcast mixer and the limiter gate and all of the equipment that help make so many of the episodes, except this one sounds so good. I will say that I started with my AirPods and those do not produce high enough quality sound even for me to be able to tolerate it. So I'm instead recording off the Logitech HD 1080p webcam that we have, and I'm about to share with you why things are working a little bit differently this episode. I did want to just briefly mention that I've talked before about getting pretty nervous to record these podcasts. It's kind of some of it is inside baseball and may not be that interesting to those of you who don't do this kind of creative work, but lately I have just been so amazingly, incredibly thankful that people have agreed to talk with me. And yet just the imposter syndrome has just been creeping in like nobody's business. And I've been sort of lurking on these sabbatical beauty Facebook page posts. Sabbatical beauty, by the way, is a company that was mentioned in a prior episode that is a company that was started by a professor who decided to just sort of take an alternative path in her career journey and start a company, which again, got the name Sabbatical Beauty. And I'll link to that in the show notes. But there have been a number of people who have been sharing themselves without their makeup on and some of their struggles and just celebrating the comfort and care that they're able to feel when using those products. And I laugh a little bit to myself because I feel like I'm I'm going to share now about my taking off my makeup, but I actually have my makeup on because I'm sitting here at work right now, but just sharing a little bit about what's been going on and why I find myself recording a podcast episode at work without the right equipment at 11.03 on Monday, March 20th. It starts with a little bit of an update. If you've been listening for a while back on episode 117, I got to speak with my friend and colleague, Carrie Moore. 
And we spoke about the balancing act and specifically about a family member that I have who has begun to show some significant cognitive decline. And since recording that episode, things have gotten a lot worse, although sometimes in life when things get so much worse, then we can only know they're about to get better because we have to have hit bottom. But there have been some issues with that family member having money stolen and doctor's visits that didn't produce the right forms and having to do all sorts of wrangling to make the right doctor's visits happen and the right paperwork to get this family member into a safer place. There have been the hiring of some caregivers who have been a caregiver who's been just absolutely wonderful. But now we realize since it's so good when she's there, then we realize just how bad it is when she's not there. And so we know change has to happen. And it's just been chaotic for myself and my husband and my mom who are all working so hard to get this situation resolved. I don't know if you saw the video, but there was a man who is a BBC reporter, and he was reporting on a story and in walked his toddler with this swanky walk like, I have got this all figured out and I'm coming to see my dad. And I felt a little bit like this little girl when I was in the pharmacy with this family member and our three-year-old daughter. As I figure out, oh, well, we're going to have to figure medication out when the caregiver isn't there. And so I'll just get her one of the pill boxes that I have that helps me remember to take the pills that I need to take. You know, it's got the days of the week. And then it's a medicine that if she were to forget, it's not the end of the world. It just helps things work better if she were to remember to take them regularly. So I've got it all figured out and I've got my little walk and I'm going down and getting that pill box and we go buy it and we get it home. And I decided to only leave a week's worth of pills in there so that we could replenish them when my mom goes up there to visit. And my elation over having found the perfect solution for this potential problem quickly crashed as I discovered that she actually cannot figure out how to open the pill box as turns it over and starts peeling off the label that I had taped to the back of it with the medicine information on it. And I just thought, oh my gosh. And my husband, Dave, and I were driving and just sharing because he's been going through his whole host of issues on this particular situation, more on the banking end of things and trying to protect her from having even more money stolen from her. And we're driving and he says, oh gosh. This isn't even any of our parents that this is happening to yet. What's it going to be like if we end up, you know, what's that season of life going to be like? And I just kept thinking back to Carrie sharing about the research on all of this, just how important resilience is. And I kind of was laughing and was angry all at the same time that this whole thing is just a poster child for resilience. And um, I don't want to be building it, but I know that it's important. And I, I look forward with hope to having a podcast update where things are a little settled and I don't you know, I'm not waking up in the middle of the night just worried and, and hoping that we get things resolved here in the coming days. Well, the rest of this episode, I'm going to share a couple of other happier updates. And, and again, I do believe that the update I'll be giving in the future on this family member will be a good one as well. There was a question that came in from a listener, and I was going to wait until I got enough to have an entire episode on Q&A, but 
it just didn't make sense since I've been hanging on to it for a little bit too long. It's It's been more than a month now. So John asked a question about handwritten notes. And he says, maybe this is a better question for your Slack channel. But with the debate about paper versus electronic notes being better, one criticism my students and I have to handwritten notes is being able to read them later, especially during a lecture. How have you seen students cope with this? Well, this is one of those issues, John, where I feel like anything I say is fraught with peril because people feel so strongly about this. And I think it's important for us to just acknowledge that when we think about how great it is to look at the scholarship of teaching and learning and how far it's come and how much more attention and focus it's getting in higher ed. We still all need to come together and recognize the complexity of human learning and that we, as we discover more about how we learn, that's when we realize how little that we know. And I know that sounds like a cop-out answer, but I will share how I handle this. The reason why I am such an advocate for blended learning is that it helps us be able to address multiple needs that our learners might have. I do tend to, in my classroom, have a lot of taking technology out and then being very strict about putting it back away. And in the vein of Jose Bowen, when he wrote the book Teaching Naked, thinking about what tools we need in the classroom and if what we're doing is taking a quiz it might make very well sense to pull our cell phones out, but if what we're doing is trying to do deeper listening or deeper discussion or problem-solving type of learning, that it might be well best to have those potential distractions be put away somewhere. But the criticism comes up with disability advocates that there are some of our students who will have much more success taking electronic notes. I believe, I've not read articles or seen literature, but on Twitter, I believe it's been noted that some people with dyslexia might have a better time taking electronic notes than they would on paper. And the literature, and again, it's mixed and complex, but the literature has said that, you know, in some cases, it's just so easy for us to type, that we need the difficulty that handwritten notes produce. But advocates for those students who have dyslexia say, well, that's just too much difficulty to cause them. And then we don't want to ostracize them or isolate them and make them seem so different where you have you know, this is the section where you sit if you have to use a computer or anyone who's using a computer is only doing it because they have my permission and, and sort of making them feel like they don't belong in the classroom. So the reason why I like blended learning so much is that all of those potential differences for needs about how to take notes can be eradicated by having it delivered in a more individualized way. And individualized is such an overused term, but that that uh, tends to work better for me. I can have what are called pen casts, and I've written some posts about pen casts recently, why I use them and how I produce them. But that helps students be able to take more visual notes that don't require writing down a lot of words, but can help them create a picture in their mind that when they go to take the test, they tell me I see that picture when I go to write that essay question out or what have you. It helps them 
be able to think more visually in memorizing things. And it's been really successful. So how do I address this or how do my students cope with this is that they don't really do a lot of note taking in the class. We do a lot of retrieval practice in the class, sometimes using technology, sometimes using a pen and paper where they're redrawing those images that I have drawn for them initially in the pen casts. In the class I'm teaching right now, Consumer Behavior, I challenged myself a year ago to make every learning objective in the class be able to be represented on a single picture. And in this case, it's a picture that starts with a V-neck t-shirt because a lot of things in Consumer Behavior come around to having value and what's the external influences and the internal influences that will cause consumers to perceive value. And that was a really good challenge and has worked very well because frequently it'll be, okay, take out the piece of paper, draw your V-neck, and then now we're going to look at one other aspect that eventually will tie back to value. And it's worked out well. Not perfectly, but the title of this episode is When Things Will Just Have to Do. And I wanted to challenge myself with that last year. And then this is the second time that I'm teaching the course and it's going better. And I anticipate that that growth will just continue where I can refine it and connect my analogies a little bit better and even the examples that I use. So it's just, that's a answer to your question, trying to be delicate about some of the complexities of this. But for me, trying to have note taking happen in the blended portion of my class, the part that's delivered online through pencasts or videos through other means of reinforcement and minimizing any note taking in the class, unless it is again for retrieval practice. I'm sure I'm not doing it perfect, but it's really worked well for me. What I commonly get from feedback from students is how much they are required to think in my classes and how challenged they are. But because I regularly tell them the reason why I'm challenging them in that way, they do tend to end up being not only appreciative of it, but actually advocates for it and wishing that more of their professors would do that for them and challenge them in that same way. The next message that I received is not, I guess it is a question, but not a question about teaching and learning, but more a question just about the podcast. It's from Lynn. And she says, Hello, Bonnie, I love your podcast. And they've taught me so many tools that I've never heard of. And I'm so excited to try them in my own classrooms. Thank you. And she says, I have a question. Do you have transcripts for every episode? I don't always have a chance to listen to them, except when I'm driving. So it'll be great if I can read them instead. The answer to your question, Lynn, is no. And it's one of those things that I have struggled with over the years I've been doing it since June of 2014. The podcast is paid for entirely by my husband and I. We haven't taken on any sponsors to date. Again, this is March 20th, 2017. And that's not the model that we're going with. We do make small amounts of money if somebody clicks on a link in one of the show notes and buys one of the books that a guest recommends. Uh, It's never been enough to do much of anything except perhaps support the additional reading habit that I have by inviting people to come on the podcast. But uh, transcripts do tend to be quite expensive. And generally speaking, if a podcast comes along with transcripts, they're funded either by advertising or some other way of monetizing the podcast. 
this is something that I've really struggled with, and I'd love to hear from any listeners who have opinions about this. I have thought of putting together some sort of crowdsourced optional funding mechanism. One that I'm very familiar with is patreon.com. Patreon is a crowdsourcing where a podcast or an artist or a musician could say, here is an opportunity to support the work that I do. And you can sponsor on a per episode or a per month basis and be able to provide a means for podcasts that are sole produced like mine to be able to put together things like transcripts. I've thought about doing that. I will admit to being apprehensive about doing it since I am such a big believer in the open educational resources movement and wanting to be a partner in that kind of community. So I struggle and go back and forth and have had some conversations this summer of 2017, I'll be going to the podcast movement conference, which is going to be in our lovely Orange County here, California in Anaheim. And maybe I'll get some more ideas there. And I'll just continue the conversation. But again, I would be interested in knowing those of you who are listening, if you would be open to participating in a Patreon campaign, or even if that would just turn you off, whether you decided not to do it, but but would you mind if I made some mentions of it on episodes, or would that turn you off from listening down the road? So those are kind of the things that are going through my head, and I'd love to be able to have transcripts for every episode, but at, as of this date, we don't have it yet. It's not something that we're able to make work with how much money we already put into hosting the podcast all these years. The next thing I wanted to share is a little bit of good news about my role at the institution where I teach. I did get an official job announcement that went out a couple of weeks ago. I'm now our Director of Teaching Excellence and Digital Pedagogy. And it's one of those things that's a little bit hard to explain because I've been in a consulting role for a couple of years now. The institution had kept wanting me to take this job. We had open a Director of Educational Technology And I was hesitant because while I do have the technical competence in my background to have me be a good fit like that, I just didn't like how geared it was specifically toward online learning and specifically toward the technical parts of our teaching. And after all those consulting and and all that time and after some real soul searching where I found out that I actually enjoyed the, the role that I was playing better because even... If the conversation started out being about teaching or about technology, they would eventually always come back to my heart and my soul, and that's teaching. And I was able to correspond with a couple of past guests who've been on the show, James Lang and Josh Eiler, and I'm very appreciative to them for their advice. And I'm also really appreciative of the individual who I'll now be reporting to. He's our senior director of our Institute for Faculty Development. His name is Pete Menjadas. And part of why I agreed to take the role is just the trust that he and I have been able to build and his open to change the job to better suit my strengths and my passions and what we both really believe our institution needs. So that was an exciting update. And 
I my consulting agreement with them continues through the rest of this academic year. The job was announced, but the actual contract gets written for next academic year. But yes, serving as the director of teaching excellence and digital pedagogy for Vanguard University of Southern California. So that's exciting news. And lastly, I wanted to say that we are getting ready for episode 150, which is really amazing to think back about all that's happened since episode one. It's it's just so fun. And I've decided to make episode 150 an all recommendations episode. So many of you have written in or put in your iTunes reviews how you enjoy being able to have this eclectic mix of recommendations that come at the end of each episode. And I thought that you might enjoy the opportunity to participate in some of that fun and recommend something for the listening community of your own. And in order to leave a message, you could record one and then email it to me, or it may be even easier for you to go to teachinginhighered.com slash contact. And on that page is a link to leave an audio message. And it's one that you can just record it right there on your computer. Assuming you have a microphone on your computer, you'll be all set and you can record that. And I'll receive it in the email and can include it for episode 150, which again will be an all recommendations episode. I'm really excited about that. And I'll need to hear from you pretty quick because it's the episode is airing I believe it's mid to late April, and so I'll need to be recording it in early April. So as you're listening to this, hope you'll think about participating in that way. Speaking of recommendations, this is the time of the show where I get to share one. And I did mention I was being careful with my words in the beginning of this episode, trying not to disclose too much about a family member who I care about very much and also try not to just dump on anybody who's listening. Hey, listen to this podcast so you can be depressed. But I, I also do, so many of you have said how you appreciate my transparency and authenticity. So this is me attempting to do that. But I was pretty darn stressed this morning when I came in to work. It's a Monday as I'm recording this. And I had all the I had some bad dreams about the family member and just was feeling all this stress about the this time of the semester and where my courses are at and even though I'm not officially yet in terms of being full time in the position that I accepted as I mentioned I'm still right now teaching two classes and it's tough it's tough to balance everything so I came in and had all these grandiose plans of tackling what was in my head But I know better than that. And I know that the smartest thing that we can do when we're feeling that kind of stress is to stop and do what in getting things done, nomenclature is called review. Getting things done, by the way, is in reference to a book written by David Allen and a whole methodology of tracking our commitments and prioritizing things. And so for me, the best thing that I could do, and I did it, and I already feel better is to review. And in my case, it's a weekly review, I also have a monthly review and have a yearly review as well. 
And Robert Talbert, who's been on the show in the past to talk about some of his productivity and getting things done methodology, he has a post on the Chronicle about his weekly review process that's worth checking out if you want to learn a little bit more about how to have your stress go down just like I experienced this morning. And I also spoke about my weekly review process in episode 64. And all of the resources that I'm mentioning are going to be in the show notes at teachinginhighered.com slash 145. Speaking of the show notes at teachinginhighered.com slash 145, I just realized that Lynn, who asked the question about transcripts, she mentioned that she doesn't always have a chance to listen to the podcast except when she's driving. So she would rather read the transcripts. And Lynn, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but there are show notes for each episode that while they are not exact transcripts, they are links to all the things that we talk about on an episode. So if you listened in your car, you would be able to follow up on many of the things that were discussed in a given episode. So maybe that'll help you out a little bit. Hopefully that'll be at least some tool for you until some point in the future if we're able to get transcripts included as a part of what we offer to the community. Thanks for listening to this episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. And if you are enjoying the show, I would really appreciate it if you would consider rating or reviewing the show. You can do that on whatever service it is you use to listen to it. And it's really easy. If you go into iTunes, for example, look up the show, there is a ratings button there and you can click to give it a number of stars or even to type in some of your feedback about what it's been like to listen to the show. And lastly, if you don't want to have to remember to go to the show notes every episode, teachinginhighered.com slash 145, you could subscribe to the weekly update and you'll get a single email with the show notes, including all the links we talk about on the episodes, as well as an article about either teaching or productivity that I write almost every week, except when things get really, really bad. So thanks so much for listening. And thanks to all of you who have written one of those reviews. And I'm really looking forward to hearing from many of you for episode 150. I'm hoping to see some more of those messages come in. As of this recording, I've already seen one from Steve and Michael. And I'm looking forward to seeing so many from so many others of you in the listening community. Thanks so much for listening. And I'll see you next time.